0: I want to welcome you back the this wonderful evening of January ninety sixth. Always it fun. To, it's kind of like we're surprised, even as if we've lived in Kansas most of our lives, that uh, occasionally we get a cold spring or a winter that will not end. Yes, it goes on and on, my friend. Tonight we're going to be. Looking at a well known pronouncement. Um, You probably know it. It was from Israel's worship service, and our scripture is going to be based in Numbers chapter 6. So if you're following along, you'd like to follow along, turn there to Numbers chapter 6. Not sure if you've ever experienced a blessing before, whether it was done personally to you, or maybe you were part of such a, a ceremony. It's a neat thing, uh, one that was certainly done more in the Jewish culture, uh, more so than in ours in the Christian world. That's okay. Uh, there is, in Numbers chapter 6, uh, a very beautiful order that we're looking at, and I'll uh, give you a little bit of context. In Numbers chapter 6, Uh, The first 12 verses uh, kind of bring us into a separation, that this was a call to be separate and sanctified and set apart, that the worship that they were about to partake in was something special. Then in verses 13 through 21, there was a sin offering, there was a meal, there was a sacrifice. There were several things that happened along as a part of being blessed under the covenant. And the idea of covenant there is is the prevailing idea. We're not going to get into that tonight. But when you begin to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament worship, uh, they're obviously not exactly the same. Uh, but when you begin to look at it through the lens of Christ, through the meal, for example, and what they partook of and what it represented and what our communion, our um, mutual table... Uh, means to us, we see an echo, a foreshadowing from the old to the new. And chapter 6, verses 22 through 27 is where we'll be tonight. So they've been drawn in, they have partaken of the worship service itself, and then we have this beautiful blessing uh, from the priests to the people. Uh, it's Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 three twenty seven 27, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace so that they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. This was, as part of the worship service, sort of the benediction, the the closing part of the Jewish worship service used to dismiss the people at the close of the morning service. And in in studying this uh, ritual, it was kind of interesting that they didn't do this in the evening service because they believed that the final blessing would be from the coming Messiah. And so they intentionally didn't do that at the evening service uh, during the day so that they would always be reminded that the Lord was sending someone, the true blessing. The phrase is filled with the pronouncement of God's favor and God's grace. It has been repeated by many men and sung by many and is affirmed by The creator of all men and so tonight I thought wanted to take this familiar passage as on Sunday nights we study God's grace and how it was poured out to his people and most of the time I have looked at specific stories. This is a specific pronouncement of blessing and grace to his people. So if you follow along if you're in your Bible we're going to just kind of go through this verse by verse and learn a few things hopefully about the blessing. Verses 22 and 23, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, now this is speaking about those who pronounced the blessing. This was the work of the priests to speak the word of the Lord. The priests were the intercessors between God and man. We know now, of course, under the new covenant that we don't have such a need. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, Paul wrote to Timothy. Uh, So, hearing me, I'm not the priest, I'm not the mediator between you, but I I have the the role of speaking the word of the Lord. Uh, Most Sundays, I get up to you um, and open up to you a part of God's word, and I tell you, basically, that's true. Um, I take, you know, 25, 30 minutes to tell you that's true, and hopefully you believe that. That's a very important part of their worship then and their our worship today. In Deuteronomy 21, verse 5, the instructions were, The Levitical priests, this is again in the Old Testament, shall step forward, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister and to pronounce blessings in the name of the Lord and to decide all cases of dispute and assault. They had this role of... Blessing the people and, and and handling the worship roles, and a bit of a judicious role as well. Levitical priesthood, uh, when you're reading the book of Leviticus, has mostly to do uh, with, uh, it starts with Aaron, the older brother, brother of Moses. His descendants served as priests in Israel, uh, ministering in the tabernacle and later, of course, in the temple. And were the primary mediators between the people and God. Um, They bore the responsibility of offering the sacrifices required by the law. They were the ones who did that. Uh, When you brought your lamb or your goat or whatever it was, uh, they would be the ones that handled the slaying of the animal and the draining of it and the offering at the right portion at the right place and so on. Because they were experts in the law. Some examples of some of the priests that we would maybe know are Ezra, Eli, Zechariah, uh, who was the father of John the Baptist. And uh, the, the term itself, Levitical, just simply means a descendant of uh, Levi, uh, the Israelite tribe. Levi was the third son of Leah and Jacob, and he is <clears throat> the father of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Moses and Aaron. So Aaron's descendants and Levi, the Levites were all interconnected. First Chronicles 23 says Aaron was set apart, he and his descendants forever to consecrate the holy things, to offer sacrifices before the Lord, to minister before him and to pronounce blessings in his name forever. So a little bit about the Levites there. If you didn't know that, uh, that would be heavy stuff for a Sunday morning crowd. But Sunday night, well, I can tell you all are leaning forward and excited about Levites Let's look at the source of the blessing verse twenty four source of the blessing and uh, verse twenty four is, is the Lord bless you and keep you now the immediate thing that we need to note here is that God is the, the root of all the blessing it's not like God gave you a blessing God is the blessing okay um, the blessing and there are several examples where when God entered into a covenant with a with one of his people, he would give them a name or he would pronounce a name to them. And it was in this pronouncement of a name where God gave part of his identity to them. Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, when he started out his name was not Abraham it was Abram but the Ah the I can't do it it sounds like I'm coughing up something but the ah is the the portion of Elohim uh, or Yahweh and that was applied in the Hebrew to transform Abram to Abraham which was the um the new identity that he had as a person of the promise of the blessing Think of Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, if you're following along. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful, increase your numbers until you become a community of people. Now, at this point, this was just Jacob. But, of course, we know that Jacob uh, wrestled with God in Genesis. And when he wrestled with him, uh, one of the parts of that is that he renamed her. He pronounced a name to him, a blessing Israel, and you get that uh, hell sound that adds as a part of God's name to him. Israel means who struggles with God. And a very fitting pronouncement for uh, the descendants of Jacob. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Here is the blessing of Israel, not of Jacob, the person, but of Israel, the people. If... You fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today. The Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and lambs of your flocks, <clears throat> your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Again, the Lord is saying with my identity, with my law, doing what I tell you to do in obedience, the result of being together with me is just pure blessing for his people and for everything that they were, uh, every work that they committed themselves to, every uh, harvest that they brought in, every city that they came to, uh, their children, the crops, all of it was blessing. I want to stop and say that, you know, in, in theological terms, this idea is the um, prosperity gospel. This this idea is misused. You know, if you turn on TV on Sunday morning, uh, before and after Know Your Bible, you know, if you just name it and claim it, baby, just, you know, just pronounce it and, and God will give it to you. God wants to bless every part. I mean, this is Joel Osteen kind of stuff. And, and it it's very attractive on one level, but the problem, and here's the problem: what's the, you say? Well, what's the difference between that and what you, uh, God is saying in Deuteronomy 28? The problem is the focus is not on in in our modern world in the in the prosperity theology is that the focus is on the blessing. The focus is on the what you receive, what you get out of it, and the focus here is on the blesser, who is the blessing, who's the greater blessing. So we understood that. There are other characters that lost things, that lost a great deal of people and livestock. and You know, Job comes to mind and so forth. But he would still consider himself blessed because he had his relationship with the Lord. He could lose it all, but he could still fall to the ground in worship because he was blessed, and it was the Lord who was his blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. And this idea is the idea of keeping you from evil, uh, from Evil, not just evil itself, but the destruction that comes from within evil's path. This is um, probably one that I can relate to on a personal level, and you can too if you're a parent. You, know, you raise your children, you try to teach them good from evil... You want to you want their lives to be blessed, especially if you're a God-fearing person. You believe that there's a blessing from living under His covenant and in Christ, and you'll be better if you do. And you know you want your children to live that way, and yet you know that they're going to go to school with kids who don't believe. They're going to um, hear from a college professor with an axe to grind. You're going, you know, they're possibly going to be in dating relationships with people who are on. Not on the same page when it comes to faith. And the blessing here is understanding that if we will commit to the Lord and do what he says and live with amongst people who are seeking to do the same thing, um, no matter how much evil there is in the world, the protection of the Lord will be a great comfort and peace to us. True protection comes from God alone. When you start out, you know, you baby-proof the house. Now, how far do you want to take that? How far far do you want to protect your children from any possible bad thing that could happen to them? Some people baby-proof their teenagers. Some people baby-proof into adulthood. And... That works for a while as long as you can control that environment that they're in. But you give them access to an unprotected environment. All you've really shown them is you modify the environment. What you want to do is bring your children to the Lord. Transform their hearts to be submissive to him. To yield to him. Then wherever they're going, you know they're under under a giant umbrella of protection. And don't misunderstand. I'm not saying... Bad things won't happen, but in the end, God's protection from evil is what will keep our children safe. Um, and and so as parents, this is hard to do. We really, really want control. Um, you know, this whole device. I mean, we we. You know, kids at younger and younger ages get those devices, and one of the reasons is parents say, well, I want to be able to know where they are at all times. I want to be able to have communication with them at all times. And you get that, but you get a whole lot of other stuff too. Our role as parents should be primarily first to make sure that they're under the Lord's protection. The Lord bless you and keep you. Now, there's a lot of other applications for that, but I'm 39 years old, and That's what you get for having a 39-year-old preacher. Think about this from um, a great story, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah had been sterile, unable to have children. And as heartbreaking of a situation as that was, I'm always impressed by her faith, uh, what she did after she found out that she would have a son. Um, In 1 Samuel chapter 2, She's about ready to take her son after he's been weaned and leave him with the the priest, Eli. And she knew, whether she knew it because she had been taught or whether she knew it in her heart, I don't know. She knew this eternal truth that the Lord watches over those who are his. And she knew the safest place to protect him was not in her arms or in her home, but under the care of the Lord. I think some would say, how in the world could you take the son who you prayed for, who you begged for, and leave him now to grow up in the house of the priest? And that makes only, I mean, that's just the, the wisest choice when you understand the source of the blessing. 1 Samuel 2.9, she says this, He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. That's so good. If you tend as a parent to be a tad overprotective, make sure. And I do believe parents have the responsibility to protect their children. But make sure you give them the right protection. Lead them to a source which will watch over them whatever school they go to, uh, wherever they end up going to college, whatever friends they make. If they're, if they're under the umbrella of the Lord and seeking him, I mean, I, they have a part in this too. They're going to be okay. Hannah knew that. May we not forget it. The psalmist said this in Psalm 121. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. Now he will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Who, who Who else but the one who is in heaven is up to the task of keeping you from evil? When we live in a world full of it, we can't escape its, its influence. You can try to shelter it out, filter it out, bubble off yourself as much as possible, but you still won't be able to escape the influence of the evil one. The only answer then is to be protected from the evil one. Let's go to verse 25. The blessing... Of his face, the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. Last week when we talked about Moses, we learned that Moses had a close, intimate personal relationship with the lord that 's what we meant by Moses spoke with the Lord face to face, not that the Lord has a has a literal figure uh, a figure, face, facial features, and all that, but it was uh, understanding that there was an intimacy and a closeness between Moses and God. The face of the Lord in The rest of Scripture is the same way, not to be taken literally, but to be referred to as as your relationship with the Lord. Turn to Psalm chapter 4 if you care to. Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. This is uh, chapter 4, verse 3. The Lord hears when I call. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Psalm 31, verse 6. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. It was this, the, the face of the Lord. And... It, it brought more than just the blessings and prosperity. It brought the blessings of restoration. Psalm chapter eighty, verse three: Restore us, O God. Make your face to shine on us, that we may be saved. When you messed up, what do you need to do? What do you need to? Who do you need to seek? You need to seek the face of the Lord. Psalm one nineteen, verse one thirty-five: uh, His face brings the blessing of wisdom. Make your face shine on your servant. And teach me your decrees, Psalm one hundred nineteen says. Where do you where do you need to go when you're just perplexed? When you're in the labyrinth of life, when you do not know which way to go, which step to take, which decision to make, you need to seek the face of the Lord. Psalm twenty five sixteen tells us that his face brings us the blessing of comfort. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Where do you need to go when you feel all alone? When you feel like you've been, there's just no one else for you. Where do you need to go when you feel very abandoned in this world? You need to seek the face of the Lord. His face is the source of all blessings. I don't know if this weekend at conference, if any of you had the chance to see um, people that you haven't seen in a while, maybe since the last conference, or maybe it's been a few years. but um, I saw several this morning, and each time my reaction was just the same, it was just that you know I mean just, just this this very natural smile it is so good to see you again it's so good to have and it's just that connection in a moment in a similar sort of way that uh, that that connection that brings satisfaction. And fulfillment to the soul. In a much deeper way, when we seek the face of the Lord, uh, your soul smiles and is satisfied. And we'll have this next blessing, the blessing of his peace. Psalm chapter uh, 1. I'm sorry, in Numbers chapter 6, it says, The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Psalm 1, a well-known psalm says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction." How is it that we can have peace in such an unpeaceful world? Well, the answer is the blessing of God. He watches over the way of the righteous. And everybody else, in Psalm 1 it says, uh, they, they blow away like chaff. The righteous man, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. That tree, you got these trees out in the parking lot, um, and they've been there now 20 years, and those trees have faced some pretty good winds. You know, you'll notice our banner didn't fare so well through the winds, um, but those trees have seen a lot of winds, a lot of storms, a lot of bad things. But they're old enough and wise enough now. Their roots are down far enough that they don't fear the storm anymore. And maybe there's one strong enough to blow them down, but it's a lot harder. Psalm 1 says a righteous man is like that. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. The wicked are like chaff. They're just blown all over the place. They can't stand on anything. When we seek the face of the Lord, one of the, one of the sweet, sweet blessings is knowing. And I believe this is true the longer we know him and are in relationship. The more we see this work out, hey, this storm's going to be over. I don't know when it's going to be over. and I don't know exactly how it's going to work out. But God's going to see us through. That's important. And I believe what we, we say, a person who has their roots down pretty good has the peace of God. We, we have peace because <clears throat> we are safe. Psalm 4 verse 8 says, In peace I lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. We have peace because he's our strength. Psalm twenty-nine, eleven says, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. That's not just this sort of Pollyannish pie-in-the-sky sort of thing, like everything's going to be all right. There's, a, there's an inner strength that comes from having weathered a few storms. Um, peace through having some margin. This is kind of an interesting and fun one. Psalm 127, verse 1 says, <clears throat> Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Um, It's pretty easy among type A task-oriented people to say, if I just put in a few more hours... If I just take a little less vacation, if I just push a little harder, I can produce more. You know, God's people have a peace because they understand that, yes, we need to work and, yes, we need to, to be diligent and all that. But there's a time for work and there's a time for rest. And God wired us to be people who live within the margins of our lives. Think about it. I <clears throat> shared this with our men's class on Wednesday nights. You're designed, basically, to live more or less 75 years. You know, if you're healthy and everything works out, by 75 years, give or take. And God wired you to spend 25 years of that going, just closing your eyes and doing nothing. What is that? God set this principle of Sabbath amongst his people. I want you to I want you to work diligently for six days, and on the seventh day, I want you to stop. Well, won't we get more done, Lord? Won't we bring in more harvest? Won't we do more good? Won't we have more money if we'll work all seven days? To which the Lord answers, have you considered my servant Chick-fil-A? We've, we know this principle in giving. You can you can take the Lord and faithfully seek him and say, Lord, I'm going to take 90% of what I make and live on that. And this 10%, that's for you. Now, that doesn't make any sort of accounting sense in the world. But I guarantee you, having done it both ways, I promise you, 90% times God always is greater than your 100%. The math we cannot explain, but there's something wired into the way we rest, into the way we sleep, into the way we work, into the, even in the way that we give and handle our finances that God did, didn't design us to, to scoot to the every edge of the page. We find ourselves burnt out, tired, exhausted, and, and not having any fun in life. Um, you can take that even farther, you know. Spend hours and hours a day on this device. Okay. Is that helping you be any more social? Is that helping you know people any better? No, not really. It's just pushing to the edges of your life. I'm not saying this is bad. We use a lot of North Side's, you know, on social media. We're viral. But there's a time to put it down and go call someone and say, Let's have coffee. That's better. So we, we can have his peace through margin, meaning I don't have to work 24 hours a day to get the most of the day. I need to be productive 16 hours of the day and rest for eight, and I'll get more done if I push for 24-7. And, of course, Christ brings us the greatest lasting peace. Peace I leave with you, he said his two disciples. My peace I give you. I give not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And finally, verse 27, is the blessing of his name. Um, this is the Hebrew, uh, which in the English is transliterated transliterated because I don't know Hebrew y h y h and they read it differently than we we read that from left to right uh, hebrews read it from uh, right to left so yud hav uh wahe again i don't speak hebrew but this was his name uh, the name that in fact jewish scribes would not pronounce, they didn't want to mispronounce the name of God. They treated it with such reverence. And this name in the blessing, by the way, is the the term the Lord, most English translations, Uh, some call it Jehovah. In this particular set of scriptures, is pronounced three times, no doubt to remind us that one God manifests himself in three ways. Um, in fact, I'm told that the rabbis who would read this, or the priests who would read this blessing, would do would pronounce uh, this word when they pronounce the blessing. They would use the word Yahweh with three different accents, so they would pronounce it differently each time. And uh, just reminding them that it was the Father, the Son, the Spirit, uh, whether they fully understood the meaning i don't know but sometimes we get caught up on this idea of the trinity is that um well you know trinity's not in the bible the idea of the trinity is father son spirit but the word is is something we use to explain the three parts of god how we kind of explain it on know your bible uh, and we'll say it's a limited human explanation but i'm toby i am a father To two, I am a son of one, and I'm a spirit. I manifest those same ways, those same three ways, although to a much lesser degree, admittedly, uh, than the Lord. Some people get really hung up about that. Uh, Those of Islam, would one of their chief criticisms of Christianity is that we have three gods. And it, you know, it's because of their misunderstanding of Yahweh. Um, but His name was the ultimate blessing; it brought victory. <clears throat> uh, Deuteronomy twenty eight ten. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord Yahweh, when they will fear you. His name brings victory. His name brings forgiveness and healing. If my people, <clears throat> who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. If you need victory in your life, if you need forgiveness and healing in your soul, you need to seek his name. And someday his name will be honored by all. The choice is we get to choose whether we're going to to do that now or later. The New Testament equivalent, Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow someday. It's our choice whether or not we bend our knee in this world. But when judgment day comes, we're promised every knee will bow. So tonight, when speaking about all these ideas of the blessing of his face and his name and so forth, I just want to give you one takeaway as we think about blessing other people. As we think about um, how we can apply this in our own lives. And that is this. Um... Speak with grace. This week, choose wisely whether you're going to use your words to bless or to curse, to build up others or to tear them down. Our words have so much more power than we realize. Every week, someone will say something to me, either in person or by note or by text or message or whatever about something I said during a sermon. And many times, it it was just kind of a castaway thought. It was something that I said that in the moment, um, I believe, was from the Spirit. But he uses our words in ways that we don't fully know, if we'll let him. So, make the choice tonight to use your words to be a blessing to others. Number six tells us that God will keep and be gracious and give peace. Our words can do the exact same thing. Not to the degree that the Lord does, but they can be gracious to people. They can keep people from harm and they can give other people peace. And you have to be intentional about doing that. Choose to let your words be full of grace and to improve wherever you go and whoever's life you speak into. Proverbs 16:24 says gracious words are like honeycomb sweet to the soul and health to the body. Mark Twain famously said, I can go for 2 months on a good compliment. I'm not saying be sincere, insincere or flatter. I don't think that's helpful at all. But take the time to notice the good for people. Everybody's looking for all the problems. Those are quite easy to find. It takes more work and more diligence to use your words to bless people. And so that's what I want to challenge you with this week. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. James says that your tongue is like a fire. Fire can be used to warm and bring comfort, but it can also cause great damage and great scars. And you get to choose which type of fire your mouth will be. Christ is the true and greater blessing. One of the last things that he did was to bless his disciples. This is interesting. Luke chapter 24, verse 50 and following. When he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. I don't know why I never caught that before. You know, Acts doesn't tell us of this detail, but the end of Luke does. That as he was going up into the air, that he was pronouncing a blessing to his disciples. May we continue. To, to follow in the model of Jesus. He has promised to return. For the final blessing. And the real question is. Are we ready? Do we know him? He's the true. The last great blessing from God. Does he know? Does he know us? May he know us. And if you don't know him. Uh, no greater opportunity. To, than tonight. Uh, than to. Yield in obedience your heart to his word and to his truth. Um, If you are ready to obey the gospel, if you're ready to to begin the process, the lifelong journey of knowing Christ, uh, there is no greater grace and no greater blessing. We'd be glad to help you with that or with any other need you might have. Meet me down front and we'll help you in whatever way we can as together we stand and sing.